Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights created by Peter Berg. I am still Stacey Orstano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I am still Derek Phillips, and I played Billy Riggins. The assumption is, of course, that you, our gentle audience, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, please go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. And please... Please go check out our merch. That's right. We've got a website designed by Eleanor Carez, who is at Eleanor Carez on Instagram. Our website is www.cleareyesfullheartspod.com. Once again, that's cleareyesfullheartspod.com. Go buy that lovely hoodie that you've been looking for. Or, you know, some mugs. Whatever you want. There's lots of stuff there. Check it out. We still want to answer your fan questions, so email us the burning questions you've had about Friday Night Lights and questions about Derek, because I will always answer questions about Derek at Clear Eyes Full Hearts Pod at gmail.com today. Season two, episode 10, There Goes the Neighborhood. It was written by friend of the pod, David Hudgens, and directed by Jeffrey Reiner. This synopsis from NBC reads as follows. When a tornado hits a rival high school, Coach Taylor reluctantly welcomes the players to the Panther facilities. Meanwhile, Julie and Tammy adjust to Tim living in their home. And we have an awesome guest with us today, my favorite guy to impersonate, Brad Leland, who plays Buddy Garrity. But before we chat with Brad, let's get into the highlights of this episode. Okay, right at the top of the show, we got what we call another FNL mix it up. I would say two characters that you wouldn't normally put together in Tim and Julie. Yeah, and I'm loving it. I love that Tim like immediately kind of takes the big brother role, which is kind of perfect for Taylor Kitsch, who is a big brother in real life and a big brother to a little sister. And he kind of naturally takes to it like a like a fish to water, like a moth to a flame. Oh, God. What else? Like a... That's all I got. Okay, that's good enough. I had like a little, not PTSD, but like, instant flashbacks. I grew up in the tornado belt in Texas and that sound of that tornado siren, I know it so very well all throughout that time in this season. Just, you would hear it. Your family has like your own thing that you would do. Mine, we would go into the hallway and take all the picture frames off of the walls and we would just sit there as a family with our little like weather radio and wait to see what was a coming. Did you guys have a tornado shelter, Stace? Not a tornado shelter, just being away from windows was the big yeah. thing. And if it was really bad, it was in the bathtub with the mattress on top of you. I shot in Oklahoma and every house that we were in had tornado shelters. It makes sense. It makes sense. I did not grow up in that part of the country. We have hurricanes in Miami, which is totally not fun either. My family's house got destroyed in Hurricane Andrew when I was a kid, which was super scary. But at least with a hurricane, there's ample time to prepare and potentially flee if you need to. Tornadoes, not so much. I got to see a tornado firsthand one time when I was driving down I-35 when I was in college. And it's freaky because like the sky, all of a sudden it like turns like this eerie shade of green. Mm -hmm. And then like the clouds start moving really, really quickly. Like it's one of these things where if you've never seen one before and you've never been around it before, you're like, well, that looks a little strange. What's going on there with the sky? And then all of a sudden this like funnel cloud started to form. And I was like, oh crap. I don't want to like make you guys think that I was like driving through a tornado like twister. And then you know? a cow comes by your car. <laughs> yeah, flying through there. No, <laughs> it wasn't that bad. But like it was off in the distance. I'd probably say like maybe like two, three miles away where the mm -hmm. funnel cloud was. It may have been even further. I don't even know. But like it was close enough that I may have needed to change my pants when I got oh. to my final destination. They're crazy. It sounds I use literally here to mean literally like a railroad train coming through your house. Yeah, Whew. that's what it was with Hurricane Andrew because we had multiple tornadoes 
those throughout. That's how everyone's houses got destroyed. All right, back to Dillon, Texas. Okay, so Larrabee. You guys, just Larrabee coming to train and be a Dillon. What could possibly go wrong? And if you guys remember the Larrabee coach, whose name is Coach Dickens, previously played a coach named Coach Ganey in the season one episode, Mud Bowl, where he was an altogether different character on a different team. But, you know, sometimes that happens on TV. But we loved their relationship, his and coaches, and I still love their relationship. Yeah, we talk about this a little later in episode 11. Just really cool to see the inner workings of two coaches and their very different ways of approaching the game. Very different ways of coaching. Oh, Landry, I just, I have fallen so in love with this character in a way that I didn't know that I would, it being my first watch and all. I just, I want this kid to have the break. And all he wants to do is hold Tyra's hand. And I want Tyra to let him hold her hand. I think everyone feels that way that watches this show. I mean, they sure as hell aren't wanting her to hold Chip's hand. Chip. Gross. What a doofus. (laughs) Doofus. I had had harsher words than doofus. (laughs) This episode is already just at this point so full of conflict. And I found myself wanting just one episode that I would call like Seinfeldish, where nothing happens. And we just watch people live and be happy and be in Dylan. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen, Stacey. This is Friday Night Lights. And if you're not crying after every episode, then you're not watching the right show. Wouldn't that be such a good episode, though? I think you'll get that in the season five series finale. I think that it ends in such a way that you're like, all right, I can leave these characters now and I'm going to be happy with it. I know. I, I, Mindy cries a lot in episode five. So yeah, it's good cries. It's like happy cries because you're, mm-hmm. you're seeing all these characters that you love. Like there's some conclusion to their, to their stories. Something to look forward to, Stacey. Uh, I mean, we'll see. We don't always agree. I would like to say that as Tyra's sister, which I obviously legally am, I want to shake her. Like already she wouldn't hold his hand and just like go to the dance with this very nice boy that you obviously like. What is wrong with her? It's caught up in the high school appearances. It's terrible. I hear you. I also think she might be scared of her actual feelings. That's a good call. I hadn't thought about that, but yes, yeah, I, I think. Hope. At least I hope. No, so. I think that might be it. I hope this coach buddy relationship. If we think about back from pilot beginning of season one into where their friendship is now, these two, their friendship, it's good for my heart personally. They're like meant to be buddies. They really are, and they are in real life too. Yeah. Which is, there's a great relationship between Brad and Kyle. Or like golfing buddies. And we're going to have Brad Leland on the show later. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk all about his relationship with Kyle and specifically his relationship in this scene and this scene in particular. So yeah, stick around. I so wish that I was there the day that they shot that food fight. That looked hella fun. Yeah, it does. And I can't even imagine how long did that take to choreograph and how many times did they do it and how much of it was Reamer and how much of it was just pick up something and throw. It's amazing. I'm going to say 90% of it was Reamer. And Justin Reamer was our fight coordinator and stunt coordinator on Friday Night Lights who did all the football stuff. And I think because of his experience with all the football stuff, he was used to handling these massive scenes with multiple people. You know, I mean, anytime you're doing a football game, it's 22 people on the field that you're choreographing. So yeah, this is probably a cakewalk for him and probably fun because it's just Changes things up a little bit. Stupid fun. But that, I get him working on the games with players that are that physical. But these are like the background actors that we use as high schoolers that got to be physical now. So there's like an extra added level of safety that needs to happen. But just what a fun day for them. I really just wish I could have sat there in like Video Village and watched it happen. We're going to have Justin Reaver on the show at some point. Mm -hmm. And I'll ask him when he gets on how many of those background actors were actually actors and how many of them were stunt guys. Yeah. 
God, it was good. Just yeah. some good punches thrown. Unseen. I have Shelly questions. Where does she live? What does she do? How long is she staying? It just seems like she's planted there. And it's like, how, what is, what, why, when, where, how? Yeah, we don't get a whole heck of a lot of backstory. I believe, and I could be wrong in this. I know Shelly winds up moving to Dallas, but I believe she was living in Dallas. But we know that she's in between jobs. We find out in the next episode that she's studying to get a real estate license and that she actually winds up getting a real estate license. Supposedly, she was staying down here to help out with Gracie Bell. But I mean, the reality is she's just become a gigantic pain in the rear. <laughs> and don't worry, Stacy, She's going to be gone after next episode. So, Oh. Yeah. She's getting the boot. Okay. Spoiler alert. Some questions answered. Good to know. I just wrote on Justin Reamer working overtime in this episode. Yeah, there were a lot of fights, a lot of... Fights, punches... Yep. Kids and coaches, like he earned his paycheck this day. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot going on in this episode. Okay, again, my love, Landry. Yes, tell Tyra the truth. That girl needs to have truth yelled and spoken directly to her face, and he did it. Yeah, I mean, he shows up at the dance, not dressed up, and basically tells her what's going on, tells her what he's feeling. It's frankly just another beautiful scene from Friday Night Lights. And I love the writing in this scene. You expect Landry to say, yes, I'll give you the time you need, but he doesn't. Mm. As much as it hurts him, he lets her know that she's better than the guys she keeps dating. I watched that scene and it made me think like I could have used some of that Landry testicular fortitude when I was growing up. I didn't have it. I yeah. still don't at 46 years old. Good on him. It's time. But also he's like, no. Yeah. Like, just no. It shows that he's got respect for himself as well. Finally, he's not just going to sit there and wait around for It's like, look, I love you, but you're better than the guys that you're dating and you can't see that. And I can't make you see that. It's a very grown up conversation. Very grown up. Chips throwing up in the bathroom. That's why I was saying I wish I had some of that testicular fortitude when I was his age. But the reality is it's like I could use some of that now. Mm-hmm. Jeez. You can use scene. some of it now. I think we all could. I want to say... Amy Teagarden is doing drunk teen to perfection. I really loved her doing this. Almost too well. Is it? In the re- it's I, so I mean, good. She nails it. And I, honest to God, I mean, Amy was probably 18 or 19 years old when she shot that scene. I mean, she was never out with us. No. So I no, don't no. know that she ever drank. Mm-mm. I don't know that Amy had any experience with it except for- I don't think she was 18 yet. Oh, no, you're right. She wasn't 18. Uh-uh. If she was 18, she could have worked on her own. She, she was like 17. Yeah, just a baby. Yeah, you're right. I was thinking 18, like 21. She, <laughs> no, she was like 16 or 17 years yeah. old because her mom was still on set. For season two. I don't think Amy turned 18 until probably like third or fourth season, maybe. Yeah. So I really and truly wondered when she was shooting this, if she'd ever even touched alcohol before, if she'd ever even had a sip of alcohol. Or maybe just watched all of our other players play teenage drunk too, but yeah. it was the fun side of Amy to watch her get to be a little silly. I liked it. Yeah, it was. But it's also, it immediately gets kind of dangerous because there's this kid who's kind of skeeving on her. And meanwhile, the kid who winds up, the, I think the kid's name is Riley in the mm-hmm. scene, who winds up kind of sidling up next to her and basically is trying to take advantage of her when she's drunk. That kid's name is Trevor Nelson. He's a great guy. Trev. And Trevor's dad worked in transportation on Friday Night Lights. If I remember correctly, Trevor's dad's name was Lonnie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A great dude. But kind of an interesting behind the scenes story, like, or not story, but Trevor's uncle is actually Willie Nelson. Ever heard of him? <laughs> Ever heard of that country singer, Willie Nelson? But yeah, I mean, Trevor was a really, really great guy. Still is a great guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Became super good friends with Jesse and Preston. Yeah, and, all that, and he, that I think he lived with Jesse and Preston yeah. for. Yeah, and Kelly. Three or four years. Yeah. Anywho. I need Tim Riggins to have a bit of a break. 
again, I didn't necessarily think this at the beginning of the show, but he genuinely is a good person with a good heart. And I need him to have like a foundation. What are you talking about? Oh, don't go. I already told you this is Friday Night Lights. There are no good breaks. It's just tragedy after tragedy. I'm kidding. It's too much. It's like Shakespeare up in here. I hear you. Yeah. But you know, there's also a part of me that's like, no, Tim needs to get in trouble with coach so he can come home so that Billy Riggins can come back on the show so that I can earn a living and put food on the table for my dog. I hear you though. And he just takes it on the chin. Walks out, even though he was being the good guy. That scene, it really, what's the word I'm looking for? Piss me off. (laughs) Was that the word you were looking for? Yeah, (laughs) I'm like, come on, Julie, you got to like fess up to the fact that he wasn't doing anything wrong. Yeah, but in that moment, I think Coach as a father is doing exactly what a father would do. Oh, 100%. Riggins as being the guy that he is, is like, yeah, okay. Everybody thinks I'm a mess up anyway, so I'm just going to go walk away like a mess up. I, at the end of this episode, had a thought of not only my Seinfeld episode that I want, but I would also like a Tim Landry road trip where those two get outside of Dylan and they go meet new fun people and they giggle and they laugh and they have fun without conflict. I would like that. That's my Seinfeld. It was good. I need these two to go have some teenage fun, songs drama. A little levity would be nice for both of these kids because they've been through a lot in this season. Okay, but besides Seinfeld and me wanting things that are never going to happen on Friday Night Light, something I do want is Bradley Eland as our guest, and he is coming up right after this. That is right, guys. We are done with the rewatch portion of the show, but please stick around because Bradley Eland is coming on next. We are thrilled to have our returning champion, Brad Leland, a.k.a. Buddy Garrity, back on the show with us today. Brad, how the hell are you? Oh, state champions, baby. When you said champion, it's state champions, right? We are. That's right. Returning You're state champion. How many state championships did we win? I don't even remember, Derek. I know on the show we won two. I definitely won one as a character. Oh, you God. won one. <laughs> so that's at least four state championships. Okay, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good record. <laughs> I'll take so, dude, you just got done shooting a project. I'm not even sure what the name of it is. You and I talked about this recently, but you were shooting yeah. a project with Jesse Plemons and you mm-hmm. happened to be on set shooting with Jesse the day that he got his Oscar nomination. Is this correct? It was so cool. Of course, meeting Jesse, however many years ago it was. I mean, he was 18 years old when I met him. And of course, then watching his career has just become insane. I mean, to me, one of the top actors on the planet these days. And, Absolutely. and not just in money and in roles, but He's actually that talented. I think he's absolutely brilliant. And so to get to work with he and Elizabeth Olsen, and she is incredible as well. And and the rest of the cast, Tom Pelfrey from Ozark, and just all sorts of great actors in this picture. It's a series, a seven-part miniseries, Love and Death. It's the true story that happened in Wiley, Texas in 1980 when Candy Montgomery murdered Betty Gore with an axe in self-defense and then was acquitted and got off. And she's now a child psychologist somewhere in Georgia with a different name. So it's quite a story. It made national headlines in 1980, and it certainly was a giant story here in Collin County. But to get to work with Jesse, and we were actually interrogating him because he's a witness, of course, in the case. And so I was interrogating in my police chief office there with a state trooper and a a DPS agent, and Jesse was sitting there. It was 7 a.m., and the rehearsal 
was about to begin and we were just kind of having coffee and hanging out and laughing. And the first AD came in and brought the entire crew in. They piled into my office and they congratulated Jesse on being nominated for an Oscar. And of course, just sitting there watching him and knowing him since he was just a teenager and watching that was very special. It was about as special as if I would have been getting it myself, to tell you the truth. I've never really felt anything like that because, I, I mean, I guess we all sort of felt it when we got nominated for an Emmy, but watching Jesse and then they came out and said, Kirsten has also been nominated and he really beamed when they mentioned him. <laughs> so to get to see he and his soon-to-be wife being nominated, it was as special as it gets, buddy. No That's doubt. really cool, man. That's really cool. Goosebumps. I'm glad that... I'm glad you got to have that experience and thank you for sharing that experience with us. That's one of the things that's so cool about this show. And I know I say this all the time, but there really is a camaraderie. And I'm always excited to hear what you're working on and what you've got going on. And I feel the same way. I mean, there's just a a positivity around everyone that worked on it. We're always very supportive of each other. So I I mean, I just think it's so awesome that you got to have that experience. So pumped that Jesse got to have the experience. I wanted him to win the damn Oscar, but hey. There will be a next time. I can guarantee there will be. He will win one before it's all over. I think that they probably gave him this one, maybe not as much for Dog, but for that incredible role he played in Game Night. Yeah. He should have been nominated for Game Night. It's my favorite Jesse Plemons character. I love it. (laughs) Absolutely fabulous. So good. At the front door and he backs away. I'm like, who thought of that? He thought of that. Jesse's so calm and a little shy. So I can only imagine when he found out he was nominated for an Oscar that it would probably be like a smirk and a head nod. And then like, okay, guys, thanks. That's probably it. Guys, as much as I love talking about Jesse Plemons, this is a show about Friday Night Lights. So let's jump into the Friday Night Lights portion. Brad, the last time we had you on was in the early part of the first season. Buddy was still, in my opinion, kind of a primary antagonist. But in this season and the tail end of the last season, we start to see Buddy fleshed out a little bit more. He and Pam have a split and Buddy's been booted out of the house. So what are your thoughts on Buddy becoming a far more sympathetic character this season? Well, I think I told you guys from the very beginning, I never saw him as what I think people perceived him as to begin with. And I go back to that scene with Lila under the stands in the very beginning when he says, you know, you're more important to me than football. But I I do think it took a lot of people, including the writers and everyone else, a long time to realize that that was the truth, that Buddy does care more about the community and about his family and about his faith, as shaky as his faith may be for uh, his actions. He truly believed that. And I think there's people that probably watch the whole series and, and never believe that Buddy's truly that guy. But I always did. So I wanted him to be that. And when they finally gave me these scenes, First of all, that scene with Kyle in that episode that you're talking about where they're in the laundromat and he has that resolve. That was also kind of the first time that I can remember that Kyle was starting to sort of have a little bit more in his heart for Buddy, too. And they were starting to be friends. That relationship started to happen, which helped to flesh out the character. And then, of course, to get to have that happen with Pam. And to tell you the truth, of course, we didn't know it was going to happen. We didn't get the scripts far enough in advance. But I thought there's no way he's not going to get her back. And and for me, it was like, okay, this is just a piece. I'm going to, there's got to be some tears here, which... There were very few. That was actually a pretty tearful scene. They cut most of it, but you could tell that Buddy was very affected by that. And I think people started to see that he wasn't quite as cold-blooded and cold-hearted as everybody thought he was. So it was wonderful for me to get to finally, they gave Buddy some vulnerability and there was some inner Buddy there starting to 
creep through instead of just the outer boisterous booster buddy. One of the things that I found really interesting about that scene with you and Kyle in the laundromat is Kyle doesn't even talk. You're throwing these ideas out basically to him and then you jump right in immediately. So it's kind of like you're having a conversation with him, but the conversation is really with yourself because you're sitting here going, you know, I've never lost anything in my life. I'm a salesman, damn it. I'm the best salesman. I'm just going to go sell my wife. And he's sitting there basically with his mouth agape the whole entire scene because he doesn't really know what to say to you. But I do love that you guys are becoming friends in this season. Yeah. Yeah. And what you said is true. Uh, that's sort of the beginning of it. But when you really get down to it, that's the way it was the entire time. Kyle never says a word. In fact, I can, remember, <laughs> I can remember we would go in to do a scene and we'd have two-page scene and we were both speaking the entire time. And Kyle would walk in and just go, uh, Brad, I, I, there's no need to me saying anything. You just talk. I That's love great. it. We would just cut two pages out of his dialogue and say yes or no or maybe or let's go. And that was it. I think that was the beginning of something he really enjoyed, not having to talk. <laughs> Stacy yeah. and I have actually talked about this on the show as well, is that this relationship with Eric makes me start rooting for Buddy a little bit more. You know what <laughs> I mean? It's really interesting too, especially when you start finagling Coach Taylor back to the Panthers. We've seen Buddy do some maybe immoral things in the past and we didn't like it, but now he's on our team. You know what I mean? He's moving these chess pieces around to get Eric Taylor back. And so we're kind of rooting for that. I said to Stacy one time, he reminds me of like Deion Sanders. Like I hated Deion Sanders growing up and I was a Braves fan. And then Deion Sanders wound up playing for the Braves. And I was like, I kind of love him now. But he's that same guy. He's the guy that you kind of hate when you have to play against him. But man, you want him on your team. Would you agree with my assessment there? Or am I <laughs> pulling this out of my... I, I did. And, you know, I was trying to remember. I went back and watched the episode because I hadn't watched it, of course, since then. And, man, it's really hard to watch this stuff, guys. I, it's uh, really I emotional. And I love it. But I'd forgotten that I still had salt and pepper hair. I was 40 pounds heavier, which is gross. And all of that perspiration wasn't perspiration at all. That was buddy sweat. And <laughs> it was true. And That's how it dedicated was, you are to the craft. Oh my, I was dedicated to having to live in suits in Austin <laughs> is what I was dedicated to. And they gave me a paycheck. It was horrible. But anyway, <laughs> in that scene, I remember there was lines, but it was kind of one of those so brilliantly written and so right along the lines of what I think I would say and how they really understood us. Because I can remember my dad saying that to me my entire life. And I don't remember whether it was already written or whether we just fired it in there because it fit. But when Buddy says, don't sweat the small stuff, and he says that to Kyle in the laundromat. So mm -hmm. yeah, I was thinking about that. I was like, well, I don't remember if they wrote it, but it was sure easy to say it. Oh, wow. that's very, uh, that goes into my next question, which is like that now that Buddy is this well-rounded three-dimensional character, I'm wondering in the role, like how much of it was you that you brought into the role or is there any person that you were inspired by that you brought into the character? Well, it's maybe for the first time in my life, Stacey, that I understood what it is that we really do. And that is that it needs to come. And that's what Jesse does. It has to come from within. If they never see us act, then that's probably the best thing we can do. Do. And to stand there and be, and I was sort of capable of doing that, not because I knew this guy, but because there was a lot of this guy sort of embedded somewhere deep within me. I mean, we didn't have buddies when I was in high school winning the state championship. We just didn't have anybody that would say anything to the coaches. The coaches were so highly respected that there weren't any buddies. But that buddy, actually, I met him during the movie, a guy who was really almost exactly like Buddy. He's one of the main boosters who lives in Odessa. He's lived there his entire life. He was an A&M graduate, and then he went 
back to Odessa and he's lived there. He's been the principal of Permian High School. He's been involved with the football team. And when we did the movie, he was in the movie and he gave us a lot of information, a lot of research and a lot of insight. And I hung out with him while we were in Slow Detha. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I hung out with him and his wife and got to see what he was like. And I'm not saying the character was based on him, but I would think of him occasionally because Buddy was a whole lot like him. And his name was actually Buddy, too. And, really? Um, yeah, his name was Buddy. And, and Peter told me that he did not get the character from him. But I always felt like there was some of him that Peter had gleaned from that real guy because he knew everybody in the town. He never stopped talking ever. I went to dinner with him and his wife two or three times and there would be five or six people at the dinner table. And I asked her one time, I said, does he ever stop talking? She says, I've been married to him for 40 years and he hasn't stopped talking yet. Oh, God. <laughs> so a lot of that came from him, I think. Not always consciously, but occasionally I would think about old buddy back in Odessa and how much he cared about the team and how much he sort of knew everybody. And he was kind of like that guy. So in this second season, we're introduced to a new character, Santiago Herrera, who you kind of take under your wing. You basically become a surrogate father to this kid who comes from a really, really rough upbringing. And we'll get to see in season five when Buddy Jr. is kind of brought back into the fold, that relationship with you and your actual son. But I wanted to talk about this season. What do you think Buddy's intentions are with Santiago? Does he just see a good football player in another ring? Or is he actually trying to win Lila back to his side? Or is he genuinely invested in this kid and his well-being? Or could it be a combination of all of those things? <laughs> Definitely all three, because I thought of it that way. I thought of it as a way for Buddy to maybe change and maybe Buddy to be a little bit more open-minded than he had been. Although Buddy was never a racist person or anything like that, because he just, he, he'd grown up and that just wasn't his modus operandi. But I believe that there was something about Santiago that he was just so poor and so forlorn and had no place to go. And Buddy was going to maybe build his heart. His heart was broken and maybe build his heart up a little bit by having a relationship with this young man. I mean, he saw the potential in him as a football player because of his grit and desire as a human. But I think it was great that he was there because Buddy had something to really dig into that he didn't understand. And I can tell you one thing that was very clear, and that was that as much as I loved him as a kid and trying to help him in some way, especially with football and giving him some kind of home, since Buddy was kind of out of a home too, they were roommates in a way, but at the same time, he was not going to get the daughter. There was no way. If yeah. he'd have wanted her and she'd have wanted him, Buddy would have turned into a monster again. But he would not have let Santiago be with Lila, I don't think, under any circumstance. Yeah, interesting. I, I just don't think he would have. I don't think Buddy's going to be happy with anyone being with Lila. No, there's I, no I mean, one I good enough. That, that's yeah. true. I can tell you, having real daughters, I kind of understand that now. Yep. Yeah. Although my oldest daughter is married to a wonderful young man who I love, and my second daughter has now found a young man who I love, so I'm, I'm getting lucky so far. Wow. That's very <laughs> two <for> two. lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, both of them, yeah. So I feel like the writers obviously had more in mind for Santiago, and then we had that writer's strike happen, and then the writer's strike cut the season short. Do you have any clue where that storyline was going? Do you have any clue why... Santiago just kind of disappeared into the ether. His agent probably wanted too much money. <laughs> I have no idea what happened with poor Santiago. I know that at one time he called me. We had not 
become really close buddies like Bud Light and I eventually did. Bud Light is what we called Buddy Jr. on the show. When Bud Light came around, it, we didn't have quite that relationship, but we did have a very interesting relationship as humans, not only as characters, but we came from such extremely different places. And he was very young and very experimental at the time. He was a character, but we had a really good time together. and We were buddies. And even though we came from completely different worlds, we became pretty good friends. And I think he grew to trust me as an actor and as a friend, just as much as the character where he sort of eventually began to trust Buddy, eventually did. So that's cool. Yeah. It brought a softness to Buddy that I hadn't necessarily seen except for that moment with Lila before too. There's something I like about Buddy and Santiago together. You guys could have a spinoff sitcom odd couple thing happening <laughs> in that apartment. Oh yeah, we could have. In fact, it would have been fun if I'd have had two sons, had Bud Light and Santiago. I would yeah. watch that show. This oh, is going to be the worst analogy ever, but I remember when I got my dog a couple years back, like I got this dog and then I thought to myself, what the hell did I just do? I don't know anything about dogs and it's kind of the same thing. And yes, I remember Derek, sitting it's on exactly the couch. exactly the same thing. It's not exactly the same <laughs> at all, but it, it reminds me of that. I remember sitting on my couch with this dog and staring at her like, I don't know how to raise a dog. I don't who know what I'm doing you? here. Yeah, I was like this lonely guy who got this dog. And in some respects, Buddy Garrity's this lonely guy who just needs somebody in his life. You know, yeah, yeah. he's lost his family. They're these two sad sack kind of humans that are just trying to make their way through. You guys wind up being great for each other. When you're showing him his room and he seems a little off about oh, it, man. but then he looks at you and he says, this is the first real bed I've ever had. And I lost it. I did too. Actually, that brought some real tears when we shot that. I don't think they were in the show, but the way he said it and the way it flipped, you know, because that's one of those wonderful scenes where he walks in there and I'm so proud that he's got a desk and a bed and I'm so happy that he's there. He doesn't care. In the beginning, it's like, why are you giving me that? And he wasn't mm -hmm. appreciative. And it broke my heart that he didn't appreciate it in the beginning. And then somehow it flipped, which made it Friday Night Lights wonderful because things always flip. Yeah, yeah, that's the show. It gets you in the yeah. gut. It does get you in the gut. We've talked about this before, Stacey and I, but there's a great scene this season with you and Tim Riggins when you're trying to get this new coach fired. And Tim has just had to go to the hospital because... He he was drunk at practice and the coach was making him do all these steps and he got basically heat exhaustion and had to go to the hospital. He had no one else to call and he calls Buddy Garrity. <laughs> Buddy comes and like picks him do. up. And it's just this great moment with the two of you, deadpan, brilliant scene where you say something like, you know, what happened to you today shouldn't happen. Tim goes, well, technically I was drunk. And you pull the car over and you go, hey, don't you say that, Tim. Don't you ever say that. I don't want to hear you talk like that. What that coach did to you was wrong. <laughs> it's just this brilliant scene where you think you're going to pull aside and be like, you know what? You need to stop drinking at practice. But you say, I've seen you play drunk plenty of times. Hey, your buddy's getting better. Is it? It was nearly spot on. If you hadn't said that so perfectly, you said that. It's that. You're nearly there, buddy. <laughs> um, speaking of, do you by chance have a Billy Riggins impression or a Derek Phillips impression? I can't do it over the radio. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to call you later. <laughs> this needs to be done in person. Where we it's, it's a whole physical thing. Yeah. I do remember at the start of season four, I had come back into town and we were about to start shooting and I bumped into you and I go, hey, Brad, what's going on, man? And I went to give you a big hug and you go, no, 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 no. Don't come over here trying to hug on me, Derek. I heard that little interview you did a couple of weeks back. And I'm like, what interview? And he's like, the one where you did that impression of me? I don't appreciate it. And I go, oh, Brad, it's just the sincerest form of flattery. And Brad goes, well, I'd appreciate it if you just stopped doing that. 
All right. And I go, I'm not going to stop doing it. it I do a good stopped. Buddy Garrity impression. <laughs> it has never stopped. And I think at this point, maybe you've grown to put up with it. I don't know that you like it, but you at least put up with it. And I appreciate it. Oh, I that. have a good time with it because, you know, I do my Kyle thing. I don't do his voice, but I do his face, you know. In fact, I've been watching him lately on Uber and I see a lot of those same faces he gives to Joseph Gordon-Levitt that he gave to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Does Kyle still do his? Hey, let me tell you something. Now, Kyle used to start a scene by going, Listen to me. Hey, listen to me. There's like a 10 minute super cut that is just Kyle Chandler going, Hey, let me tell you something. Or, Hey, listen to this. And it's just like a clips of him saying that throughout the whole show. And I was like, I never noticed that, but it's a very Kyle thing. By the way, your Kyle just then, that was spot on. He does the puppy dog eyebrows too that Kyle does. It really gets him into a good place. So, you and Kyle became amazingly close on this show. I wanted to talk about the charity event that you guys started called Beyond the Lights, which was you, Kyle, and Heather, who was one of our camera operators on the show. And then Heather went on to become like the head of the Texas Film Commission. But can you talk a little bit about what Beyond the Lights was and just yeah, how that started Kyle outside of the show? Yeah, that was really something special. Kyle pretty much came up with that. We both did in a way, but we were just playing golf one day and it was in the beginning and he just, he leaned towards those type of things, helping others and being part of charities. And he'd done those kind of things before, I think, but never one like this. And we were playing golf and he just said, you know, we need to do something. And I said, what do you mean do something? He goes, well, we need to do something for the city of Austin. We need to do something for a charity or something. And I was like, what do we do? And we're playing golf. And it's like, well, let's have a golf tournament. Mm -hmm. And we're still walking down the fairway or in the cart, whatever. And we're like, well, okay, we'll have a golf tournament and raise money for what? And then we were both like, well, I don't know. Jason Street, oh, he's paralyzed for life. Let's do spinal cord. Mm -hmm. And so the whole idea was born in about five minutes. We just decided we'd do a golf tournament and we would give the money to Spinal Cord Foundation. Later, then we found out, of course, about Gridiron Heroes, about the Bonacani Fund to cure paralysis. And then we realized that we couldn't do it by ourselves. Heather actually asked us if she could chair it. And so thank God for Heather, because it was a gigantic job and put Kyle and I in touch with some great organizations and you guys as well. And we all got to be a part of something that was very important. We raised a lot of money. I can't remember the final number, but it was a lot. And we got to give it to two charities and we made a lot of new friends and we got to help a lot of people who would never be able to walk again, boys and girls, not just football players, but we were able to present fully equipped vans to some of these families whose lives have changed. Of course, as you well know, when a young athlete is paralyzed for life, it pretty well reshapes the entire family. It has to reshape their home, their cars, everything the kid's going to do for the rest of his life and just everything involved with all the hospitals and doctors and medicine. So it was rewarding and we thought of the great title and we copyrighted it. It was Beyond the Lights. And if we ever want to bring it back, we constantly hear people talk to us in Austin and say, we wish you would bring back Beyond the Lights because with that title, we can bring it back pretty much anytime we ever want to. If we could just get somebody as good as Heather to head it up. <laughs> she also had oh, at least 10 or 15 ladies that helped her out on the committee. And then we had so many sponsors and so many of our friends that we made in Austin that helped us in every way. It is a massive undertaking. I just remember how much work Heather Page put into that. You guys listening at home, these ended up being like three-day weekends with hundreds, thousands of people coming and joining, either playing or just coming for the auction or coming for dinner, whatever. Those are magic weekends. And you're right. It started out as a one-day golf tournament. And by the end, I was there from Tuesday till Sunday. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the golfers and a lot of the people came on Wednesday or Thursday and stayed three or four nights with their family. We booked out three or 400 rooms there mm -hmm. at the resort. And they loved it because there was a lot of money coming into that resort. 
Yeah. And then a lot of money going into the charities. When it provided Kyle and I with opportunities to go to Miami and work with the Bonaconis there. And I still go to New York to do the big sports convention there. So it's been an incredible ride and it continues. And maybe before it's all said and done, we'll all get back together and have beyond the lights. I love that that was just born out of your friendship with you and Kyle too. Like so many great things happened just out of this show and our family and our friendships that we made. Yeah, it was just like a little idea walking down the golf course and then suddenly it was true immediately. Mm. But that has a lot to do with Kyle. He likes to work hard on things like that too. All I really did was make a lot of phone calls and do a lot of talking, just a lot of buddy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I just want our fans to know that behind the scenes, you're a decent dude and so is Kyle. I mean, both you guys. We really lucked out on this show by just being around good people. Same to you. I have one more tiny little thing. And you can do like a Cliff's Notes version. I know you do have places to go. And thank you so much for giving us some time today. We talked a little bit to our audience before about how you are this master of Texas dialects. Like when someone says it's a Texas accent, that's not a thing. There's like 50 of them. Could you do a tiny little tour for us? A tiny little tour of Texas? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, Mend. This is only for men and really bigs (laughs) and for everybody else that has a nickname, which is everybody I know in my life. You get a nickname if you know me, and that's just what I do. But anyway, okay, so here's the deal. We'll just start with West Texas. The thing about West Texas is, you know, it's a high plane. It's 3,000 feet above sea level. And out there, you don't really open your mouth very much. You just kind of speak out of a little hole in your face, just a tiny little (laughs) hole in your face. And you don't move your teeth, your tongue, your lips, or your mouth very much. You kind of keep your face in a squint because dust is going to blow in your face. And it's kind of quicker because it's the wind's blowing all the time. You want to get your words out. You don't want to talk too much. So it's kind of like that. West Texas is kind of like that. where it's, you hear the Texas accent, but it's kind of a fast thing. You don't move your fast. Now, if you go all the way over to East Texas, you'll get over near, you're in the Piney Woods and you're closer to the South. And over there, all the diphthongs start get pulling out a lot farther. <laughs> and people say, hi, how are you? It's good to see you and Derek. And glad y'all are over here in the Piney Woods. And of course, the Piney Woods, it's hot over there and it's humid near the deep south. So things are a whole lot slower. And people are just kind of friendly and country over there. And you might think they were stupid, but they're not stupid. They're just smiling. And they keep a smile on their face because there's no dust going to blow up their nose or in their mouth. Now, the South Texas kind of a sound. It's kind of a Lyndon Baines Johnson kind of a sound. Because what you'll get there, that is the capital of Texas. And that's, you see, where Texas started. That's where the legislature is. That's where all our lawyers and lawmakers are. And what you'll find there is that people want each and every word to be understood. So you will hear all those Texas words, but they will be enunciated. And they'll be enunciated properly because that's where capital is. And that's where the laws get made. So down there, it's almost a Lyndon Baines Johnson kind of a sound. Whereas when you go to North Texas or just a typical Plano accent or anything in Dallas, you'll still hear the Texas accent. The whole thing about it is it's just a faster metropolitan area. So up here, you know, you know, people drive fast. They talk fast. There's a lot of money up here. There's a lot of people from other parts of the country. So, you know, naturally talk a little bit faster. It's kind of like the difference between the north and the south, Michigan and Mississippi. You know, people in Michigan talk faster because the weather's a little bit colder. And, you know, there's a bigger population. And so the same thing in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. You'll hear a Texas accent, but it's a lot different. <laughs> oh, you guys, I'm sobbing. <laughs> I love it because I grew up in Texas. It's a dead on. Yeah, you pretty much nail it. Oh, God, (laughs) thank you so much. It's far from anything I try to do when I'm in some borough. In New York, it's a lot different type of situation over there. 
So, oh my God. I never know whether I'm in Brooklyn or the Bronx or, you know, Manhattan. Right, Queens is super different too. They walk up the stairs. So, it's a whole Ooh, thing. I walk up the stairs. God. <laughs> I got three steps. I got no stairs. You, you made my heart me. happy. I love Ooh. you. You know, love you're you going to come back every season. So thank you for giving us your time. I love seeing your face. Yeah, it's well, great seeing you, buddy. Hope we're working together soon. Don't stop hey, man. Put that out in the universe. Love y'all. And keep up the good work. I've been listening to the show and I love it. Keep it up. You guys are doing an awesome job. Guys, that's it for season two, episode 10. But please join us next time for episode 11, Jumping the Gun. But until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Find us on social media. I'm Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our websites, ClearEyesFullHeartsPod.com, Cadence13.com, and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.